I, I loved hearing how just kind of the interviews and, and hearing the, the openness here, hearing kind of the honesty and how we can be known among each other. And this morning we're going to talk about what does it mean that we are needy. And we don't want to let the earthly, earthly standards, cultural standards, our own standards to hinder us from depending on God and interdepending on each other. So last night we talked about God's basis for sanctification. And remember, sanctification is happening anytime we are changing for the better. So anytime we're changing for the better, that's what sanctification is. And we're using these relational glasses to kind of focus in on how God uses those relationships to bring about change. And last night we talked about who God is, who he created us to be as his image bearers, how we trust in ourselves and don't trust in him. We choose our own way. And we also talked about what God is doing, what he has done, what he will do in the context of relationship with him and each other. This morning we're talking about our own neediness, and I think the, the morning was kind of prepped well for acknowledging our need. And this afternoon we will look more about what does it mean that we are needed in God's body together. So remember that being needy and being needed are rooted in who God has designed us to be. And so let's jump in together. First, behold our neediness in Christ. Personally, I would much rather like hide under some covers and never resurface um, than admit my own neediness, and whether that's with people or even sometimes with God. How about you? And let's aim at something better together. Let's aim about, um, or let's learn to boast in Christ all the more in our weakness, in our sinfulness, in our neediness. Can you imagine such a thing? Understanding that I was needy for Christ was crucial in my conversion. Even now I can functionally live as if somehow I'm able to add to what Jesus has done for me. What about you? We are just as needy for grace and mercy for all of life after our conversion as before. And so, first, we come as we are. Have any of you scheduled a doctor's appointment where you had a severe problem, like you needed to get in the same day? Anyone? Raise of hands, anyone? Have you ever gone to that appointment and then um, kind of pretended you weren't sick, kind of hid the problem, you, um, or you maybe acted more knowledgeable than the doctor that you were seeing, which eh, sometimes maybe for good reason, but, you know, just generally speaking, you know, you, you have this better way of, of treating yourself. And our spiritual problem is much more severe than that. And we can't deny it, and we can't fix ourselves. Our great physician has created one ongoing, never-ending, divine appointment and transforming, transforming us in himself and using our relationships with each other. And he is pursuing us, and we are fully embraced and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Hebrews four thirteen through 16 says, I'm going to shorten it a little bit, but no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account We then have a great high priest, the Son of God and Jesus. He sympathizes with our weaknesses and yet tempted in every way without sin. 
So who, who would have come up with this next part that it's going to say, holy God and unholy people, known of our, the neediness is known, and yet we're allowed to come, and we come with confidence. We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. We are never not in a time of need. And this confidence that we have is counterintuitive. It doesn't come naturally to us. <clears throat> and yet the Lord doesn't expect us to be inhuman or to accomplish somehow what we cannot do. We don't hide from God or one another because we are hidden in Christ. He is our hiding place. We live openly and dependently on the Lord and interdependently, being built up together. That was our passage from yesterday. Has anybody heard of Salty, the singing songbook? Any Salty lovers out there? Um, Don't play hide and seek from the Lord who loves you. He wants to be my best friend or our best friend. Um, That song actually has helped me. because I, I don't have to hide. Um, I don't have to kind of, you know, kind of make my way with God or, or in my relationships. The Psalms embody this for us in their honest engagement with God. And they would be powerful enough, you know, if we read them. But we, we remember that Jesus actually lived them. And he faced the ultimate enemy. And he expands the meaning of the Psalms as we read them. And this gives us reason to honestly pour our hearts out to the Lord because Jesus has done so. And we offer ourselves to the God of our refuge. And so here's an example from Psalm 40. And I'm just read from different portions of the psalm. Who is God? Kind of revisiting last night. Who is God? As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Here's our sufferings. The evils have encompassed me beyond number. Here's my sins. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Who are we? As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So we're able to engage with God, and we end on who he is, not ourselves, not our circumstances. We remember him. And it doesn't mean that there was ultimate deliverance in that moment for that author. But it does mean that, the, that his deliverer, his help, was with him. And how much more now that the help, the deliverer, dwells in us by his spirit. Isaiah 55 gives us another example of coming In your neediness, eat, drink, buy with no money and without price. So we come. Secondly, we're transformed into his image and likeness. And we talked about this last night. You know, if if someone were lying dead on the floor here, they cannot resuscitate themselves. There's no way for them to enliven themselves. And yet somehow we can live as if spiritually we can do that to ourselves. But Christ himself makes us alive by his spirit. And Romans 5, 1 through 6 gives us a picture of this. While we were weak, ungodly, we gained peace with God through Christ by faith into his grace. Our peace, strength, godliness is not found in ourselves or our circumstances. 
There is suffering, and yet it leads to greater hope and knowledge of God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. His love changes us to love him and love others and hope in the midst of what we're facing. His transformation in us reveals more of who we truly are in Jesus. To have hope, which we can struggle to have at times, and we can be honest about that. And yet we endure, we grow in the midst of the curse that we face. And this is supernatural and more than who we were in original creation. We talked about that last night as well, that who we are today with God's spirit dwelling in us is greater than who we were first originally were um, because of his spirit being in us. It far exceeds this world. Third, we continue to be needy for him to change us. Being needy is personal. We relate, depend, we engage with God. He's not far off. He is my God. He is our God. Change is merely a byproduct. We will not see his completed work in us this side of heaven. Any of you find yourselves becoming more like the people that are around you? I see this with my children, you know, the one-year-old acting like the three- and four-year-old, the three-year-old acting like the four-year-old. Um, and yet there's, we, can, we can become more like each other for the good or for the bad. Um, and yet... Um, we're, not, we're not after becoming more like each other, in a sense. That just happens. So um, the, the change is just a byproduct of knowing the Lord and growing together. Martin Luther says, This life is not righteous, but growth in righteousness. It is not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be. We, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. As we talked last night, it's the direction that we're headed in towards God. We still struggle in sin, and sanctification has happened, and it is finished, and yet sanctification is happening progressively. We're in this process together as his people. We are growing up in every way. And if God is infinite and inexhaustible, then we have a lot of growing to do and imaging him. The work will never be done this side of heaven because of how vast he is. And I, um, when, we, when we had our first daughter, um, I have a four-and-a-half, three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and when we had our first, um, I remember talking with a good friend of mine and um, and she she's actually single and in her in her 50s but she was encouraging me like parents are the ones that actually do the growing up when you have children <laughs> and i think she's right <laughs> because we have to mature we have to grow up um so you would think that the child is the needy one you think the child's the needy one really i'm the needy one <laughs> i'm having lots of opportunity to grow and mature more into God's likeness as the parent. Just because you see more of your sinfulness also doesn't equal a lack of growth. How many of us, we see more sin and we we think that we're not growing? But in fact, we are growing if we're knowing more of what Jesus has done for us. And gospel transformation talks about how knowing more of God means that we're also likely going to know more of our sin because we see how we are not like God. 
And yet we will have this growing and knowing what Jesus has accomplished. It will seem as if the cross is getting bigger, but really it's just our awareness, our, our knowledge, our understanding of what the fullness of what he has done is what is growing. I love Ephesians three fifteen through 19 that talks about being rooted and established in his love. And fourth, we are waiting for the day we will see him face to face. We will be released to glory. This side of heaven, we long for that day when we will be with him and we will be free from the brokenness that we experience this side. We um, thought a little bit about this last night, but Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Any moment our heart is turned toward and trusting in Christ alone in any real moment of time, it's miraculous. It's miraculous. It is changed for the better. It is Christ alive in us, being made visible. And scripture clearly speaks to a progressive nature of sanctification. And so we know that our relationships with one another are growing in progressive ways. How many of us <clears throat> think that we should actually be somewhere else in our relationship just because that's the ideal or what we know it should be? And yet it's going to be progressive the same way that we are progressively growing. So second in our outline, um, if If it is true that we are needy with God, then it is true that we are needy for relationships. Remember our relational glasses. He does change as a community and through community. We are in this journey together. It was interesting to me, I was thinking a little bit more about Ephesians 4 and 5, where it talks about um, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands nourish and cherish your wives, and children obey your parents. And so interesting that, that the what love expressed towards God looks like, looks in relationship with those relationships. Sorry, that wasn't very clear. Um, you know, that faith expressed in love will have a specific way of looking in our relationships. And yet, the interesting thing that stuck out to me, I knew this before, but it is, it is presupposed that there is a trusting, there is a dependence of God enabling them to do that very thing. And so what are some of the barriers to admitting that we were needy? That would be an interesting discussion at your tables. Um, But let's talk about some of them together. If we're really honest, we don't want to do life with others. We just, we don't. Maybe at times we do, but we don't. It feels safer to trust in ourselves. It's vulnerable, risky, inconvenient. We might be held to change. We might not know how the other people would respond. So we may hide, avoid, fear, escape, seek to be independent. Sometimes relationships seem like a threat to our growth. I can feel that way sometimes with my children. If you would just, if you wouldn't be fighting with each other, I could respond well. Or if my husband did this, then I could respond well. But those are the very opportunities that God is actually giving for me to mature, to be different in who I am. One tendency may be to minimize or ignore or become apathetic about our need. 
Or we may feel so overcome or paralyzed, despairing in our need. We may be tempted to turn away from the Lord and trust in ourselves, others' circumstances. We might live out our way over God's way. And that's why Paul reminds us of the old way, the new way. There's this way of light, or this way of light and this way of darkness. Um, God redefines and orients his people. <clears throat> and some of us believe that we need people more than we need God. Even so, that's not a reason to isolate yourself. Instead, it's opportunity to trust and to learn how to look to the Lord more than people. It is possible to trust in, in others as a way to express our trust in God. That, that can be done healthily. Um, there are some quotes that are in your packet that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has, and someone got the book yesterday, Life Together, and um, just in light of time, I'm just going to skip some of them, but um, he gives a warning about community, and he also talks about it, talks about the ideal. Um, another barrier is we're too busy. Our time is stretched. We're pulled in so many different directions, and our pace of life rarely has margin. I'm actually amazed that so many of you were able to carve out the time that you have this weekend. What a blessing. Sometimes we're just distracted by lesser things. And sometimes the weaker member feels as if we're pulling others down. Kind of like a drowning scenario where you envision yourself as if you're drowning and flailing and you're pulling someone else down to drown with you. But truly, we are building others up and are a gift to the body. And that weaker member might actually be the strongest member, the way that Jesus redefines faith. Oddly enough, I, I think that some people thought that this was really odd, but Wes and I wrote our own vows, and I, one of my vows is actually that I would be a burden. <laughs> um, because I don't want to be a burden, and I don't want to trouble you. Um, but even for him, that's actually the very thing that he needs, is for him to grow up um, as well. And, and so, um, yeah, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. And in light of time, I'm, I'm not going to read it, but it's important if you have, if you have a chance. Um, but just the way that the passage is described is that we are the body, and yet, do we say that we don't need our ear? Do we say that we don't need our foot? And in the more excellent way isn't the body part that you are in the body. The more excellent way is the way of love, that how you are using what you have been entrusted with to love others, imaging God. And in our weakness, we don't say, oh, well, I'm weak, and so I'm not going to be a part of the body. I shouldn't be a part of the, this body. We are each placed, um, we are all placed um, and appointed with his purposes in mind that will image him. So in a way, like if we are not fully being needy with each other, we're not fully imaging him together as a body. I listened to a recent sermon, and it was, it was just really beautiful on, on this passage. Um, and this pastor just mentioned, you know, you don't amputate the broken leg, you know, just because the leg is broken, it's not functioning the way that it needs to. You don't amputate it. And then he was talking about this pastor and his wife who 
they, they planted this huge ministry overseas. They came back and they invested in local preachers, um, pastors in the area, strengthening them, building them up. And his wife got Alzheimer's. <clears throat> and so he began spending every day going to see her. Um, and he wasn't able to provide the care, which is why she was staying elsewhere. And every day he had to teach her to pray amen. She couldn't remember. Was that a lesser work than when he was overseas or meeting with a room full of pastors? The people in that church grew in what it means to really love someone. Other reasons, other barriers, fear. And sometimes we have good reason to fear. It hasn't gone well when we've been honest. Or others may have betrayed us, mistreated us, exploited us, sinned against us in the past. And yet that can't keep us from stepping forward in faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, It may be that Christians may still be left to their loneliness. Though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we're all sinners. So whether we're the sinner or the person struggling that would share that, how do we think about that? Do we create a culture, a kingdom culture, where we're allowed to be sinners? Because we can't, we we are not done yet. It is interesting, you know, I've been in North Carolina for a year and three months, and I've lived here before, and I lived, when I was in South Africa, our team was very southern. Most of the people were from North Carolina or Atlanta, and it was interesting, though, I was talking to someone recently who also moved down here, and she was telling me that she, you know, she was in her small group, and it was like, maybe she had gone, I don't know how many times, but she found herself sitting there, looking around at everyone, and she thought, I think that I'm supposed to shower every day. And then she thought, I think, I think I'm supposed to blow dry my hair. These are silly things that we can chuckle, but they point to something greater spiritually. Do we live as if we have it all together? What is our culture that we're holding out, and what is God's kingdom culture? This will feel counterintuitive, and it will take courage. And then there's, you know, think about it. What if you don't fit the mold? I'm finding this, you know, and I I think I would have found this if I hadn't married and didn't have a small, um, small children right now. Um, And I didn't anticipate getting married. I was in my 30s when I got married. But what if you don't fit the mold? What if you're single? What if you're married, but you're infertile? You've tried multiple times, and God is just not... That is not what God has, the way that that you thought, the way that the people around you might be experiencing. What about the single mother or the single father? What about the widow? 
What about the wife whose husband isn't a believer? What about the wife whose husband is a believer, and yet he's tearing her down in such a way that is ungodly and should not be accepted, and yet she's in such isolation that she can't tell anyone? And so how do we create a culture where we can be more honest? How do we love each other where we are and become more aware of kind of what we are assuming should be for one another? These barriers are not the final word of what God is doing, though. They can be the very means that God uses to lead us to live dependently on him and interdependently with each other. We're able to learn a new way of relating. There is no guarantee. The only guarantee, well, the guarantee is probably that you, it will be messy. Um, that would probably be the guarantee. Um, but there's a heavenly guarantee. And there's this way that there's something more beautiful being made visible. We don't have to be ashamed that God is still bringing about his change in us. And we also must be convinced that we live before God and not ourselves and not other people. What do I mean by that? As I'm developing relationships with women in my church, I find myself, you know, after church, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should have I don't know if I should have said that, or maybe I should have said this, or just kind of evaluating how I'm interacting with people. It's very vulnerable. But I have to pray something like this. Lord, you are my audience of one. Will you help me to trust my position in Jesus and that your love for me is more than what others might think of me? And then maybe I call that friend and say, you know, I keep thinking about that. Did I offend you? Or I wish I would have said this. There's a way that we can walk honestly and humbly with each other. His perfect love casts out all fear. In 1 John, this doesn't mean that we will not fear. I think we have to be careful. We offer our fear to him and receive his love for us. You know, on... um, as you, as you engage in relationship with each other, you might have heart palpitations. Your body might be lying to you, deceiving you, trying to convince you otherwise. But it doesn't mean that you're not stepping out in faith. And so, again, we have to have greater reason to trust in the Lord more than what we feel emotionally maybe or feel physically, and we step forward in faith. Even if there is difficulty relationally, which likely there may be, we can be sure it is not the end of what God will do. He will make a way through it, even if it's not the way that we expect or want. Again, that, that we, are, we are rooted and established in his love for us. And that is what anchors us when the storms and relationships come, when the wind is blowing, or when there's uncertainty, we can't see quite where the land is. Um, And so we come needy together, and we are growing. Um, Secondly, being his people gives us a new way of relating to one another and as a whole in God. And so Ephesians 4, you know, that talks about the the body growing up into maturity, um, the parts working properly. Um, And 1 Corinthians 12 talks about each being a a part. um, And I I prefer to think of myself in like Ephesians 4 because 
in some way, then, then I don't have to be as needy and I can be the one like building other people up. It feels safer and I can, I can trust in myself that way, which is dangerous. But that's actually forgetting that Ephesians 3, that, I, that I'm, my position is in Christ by his love, not by my strength, not by what I'm able to do for someone else, but it is my bodily designation by God himself. And that's the same with um, 1 Corinthians 12 as well. Just put a little bit of a different way. He ordains how the body will fit together. It's also helpful to remember that it doesn't end with me, that it's about the greater body. So remember that relationships are mutual, they're reciprocal, they're, they're intended, we are intended to affect one another. We weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And weeping does not negate the rejoicing, but it more fully images God. God does both, doesn't he, simultaneously? It would be like, um, it would be like my broken toe weeping because it's broken, but my body not weeping, and my body not rejoicing in the fact that my kidneys are functioning, right? I mean, it's like somehow God holds all of these tensions together for us. Remember the garden. It is not good for man to be alone. We are a communal people made for him. And sometimes we can think of it as in the marriage context, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, but all throughout the New Testament, there is an expansion of his communal people. And nowhere in Scripture um, does it actually refer to calling a person. Whenever God is addressing um, people, he's addressing them for the whole. <clears throat> And culture, our culture goes against this. And even increasingly with the isolation of the digital world, we're detached from real people when we're face-to-face. How many of you have seen people sitting in a restaurant where every person at that table is on their phone? Or maybe we have done that. And how does, the, how does this impact our relationships with each other and even our relationship with God? Is, if this is how we relate to each other, how am I relating with God? Third, we are being built up together. The way God uses people is often different than we expect. This can be hard for us, or it can be really exciting and and good for us, as some of the stories we've heard. What we may define subjectively as bad may actually be the good thing for us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, or Joseph was sold into slavery. We have our own definition of what is good and what is bad. God's definition is much greater. And we can't change or mature without others. We need other people to become who God wants us to be. We also can't avoid being needy if we truly want what's best for us, which is trusting one outside of ourselves. Trusting his people is a means of trusting in him. And we are interdependent even if we don't acknowledge it or we don't choose to live that way. That doesn't change the reality of the way that God designed things. So think about this image of Ephesians 4 from yesterday. We're being built up into maturity as a body. Does anybody watch HGTV or have, have seen maybe even locally you've like witnessed the building up of this area or, or have seen houses being built or things being done within a house? 
God's house is not just a bunch of people getting together to do house renovations. I think sometimes we think about it that way. We, collectively, as his people, his, his church, we are the renovation. Um, this, the physical images the spiritual. Fourth, so what does being needy with others actually look like? And again, I'm kind of building more of a case um, here. But Scripture so clearly identifies and describes relationships everywhere. We mentioned Colossians 3 last night and you know, Ephesians 4 and 5. Or James talks a lot about relationships. Um, really, all of Scripture talks about relationships. But there are some of these categories of what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be foolish? What does it mean that we were old these old ways, and what are the new ways? What, are, what does conflict look like? What does peace look like? What does tearing down look like? What does building up look like? What's best for you can't be done without relationship. And Paul Tripp says, it's not because I trust you, right? I, I, I want it to be because I trust people, um, but it's also not because we know that we're both sinners. We move towards each other because of the cross. Trust in Jesus. So I can trust you, not because you yourself are trustworthy. You might be. God might have grown you in that way. But I trust you because Christ is in you. And ultimately, somehow he will work it all out together. So what does being needy with each other look like? We ask for prayer together as sinners in one body. So what if your nerves didn't send a signal, you know, that the fire was hot, right? I mean, you would burn yourself. So we are a body fit together. How can we ask for prayer in ways that we need it? It is God's kindness to allow someone opportunity to build you up because they'll be built up. This is kind of the way that God works things. He allows you both the opportunity to witness and experience the Lord's steadfast love and care. So who do you really ask to pray for you? Do you pray just for your sick list, just for your circumstances? Or might you ask them to pray for your heart before God, something much more eternal in what God is doing? Um, And for example, My three-year-old bit my four-year-old, and probably because the four-year-old wasn't listening to her, um, but the three-year-old is really strong. Um, But but I was asking her, you know, did you bite your sister? And here, you know, the sister has the bite marks on her, and she's like emphatic, no, I didn't bite her. Um, And it's like, she, she won't know the grace and mercy that God has for her if she can't admit where she is. This is opportunity to learn a new way of relating together. So can we, can we have room with each other to do that? And if, if someone comes to us um, or raises an area of growth or if we confess an area, you know, how can we not seek to defend ourselves, not cover ourselves because Christ has covered us? Or how can we receive it if it's spoken in love or even if it's not, even if it's done poorly? The Lord sees us, and he takes account, and yet we can learn from what God is showing us. We also recognize that sin is not the only category for growth. 
Um, sometimes we, we give things a value of sin where it's a moral category and it's not truly. Um, sometimes there are struggles and sufferings, and, and sometimes our sins can be a suffering that we bear, that we have to learn to move through and carry to the Lord regularly. And our bodies have been impacted by the curse. Our bodies can't make our sin, but there are particular weaknesses that we may experience because of the curse. And then there are times that we need to draw on others and broaden the circle, especially when there's real isolation or someone's in harm or someone's just really stuck. We want to broaden the circle with each other to provide more care to grow together. There's also wisdom in relationships. So we don't want to be foolish. There's a difference in, in, in kind of a fine discernment. Um, for example, if a woman's experienced oppression by her husband, we don't want her to be foolish to give more opportunity for her husband to sin against her in harmful ways. We want her to be wise with that. So it's not like we're just walking around um, unwisely um, kind of putting ourselves in, in unhelpful, vulnerable situations. But I think generally the tendency is that we don't do that. Is kind of where I'm coming from. So we, we live in honesty and openness without hiding or seeking to cover ourselves because we are hidden in Christ. He is our refuge, and he allows others to image his refuge to us. We become little respites um, along the way. Two are better than one. Um, many, there's wisdom in many counselors. So we have these relational glasses. And I recently had a friend who she allowed me to just come over to her house and use her space to work on these talks. And she also has three young kids, and there's, like, stuff blown up everywhere, you know. I just felt so much better. Like, oh, I can actually, I can actually do this, too. Like, <laughs> I don't have to shove things, you know, around. Like, I can just be. And that just images, again, materialistically images for us spiritually. How can we just... How can we be with each other? Being needy is hard in a broken world. I was um, weeping home on one of my evenings from counseling, just meeting with people all throughout the day. I mean, like, like not just like tearing, but like groans and sobbings that I have not done probably since when my brother died. And yeah, it's like my view of God has, has we, we, we better have a big God who can bear these things. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And recently I called um, a friend in Pennsylvania um, to talk about some things, and then it was very encouraging, but I had to hang up, and I was very thankful for that. <clears throat> and then sometimes I have moments in my relationships where, you know, um, with my husband or with my kids or even with my parents, where it's like it just feels like there is no way. There's not going to, like, this is, I, I just, there's no way through this. Um, and so sometimes if it feels good or if it feels positive, it's not going to be enough. My friends, I had to hang up the phone. They can't actually be with me the way that God can be with me. And if it feels bad, if it feels utterly hopeless, um, it can feel overwhelming. But again, as we, as we remember who God is, um, this, this points to something greater in our broken world. And sometimes it will feel incomplete, this side of heaven. But how gracious that God allows heaven to come down now through each other. There is loss, and we do grieve, right? We, we need to allow ourselves to grieve 
how it is not yet what it will be. The Lord collects our tears. He keeps track of our tossings. How can we do that with each other? And even our relationships are not as they fully will be. They can point to God. um, Or at times we can feel like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this is not what I signed. This is not what I signed up for. We question what God is doing. We can be assured that he is good and he will remain faithful. So fourthly, on the outline there, God uses relationships to show us himself and direct, to direct us to him. Remember, he is our direction. So we see God and in, in people in his likeness. And so what, what are ways that God has used people to help you to know him? What are the qualities of people who have been most helpful to you? Do they ask you questions? Do they actually follow up with you about what you ask for prayer? Do they allow you to be where you are while also speaking truth? How do they practically provide God to you? Um, and I, I, I'll share a little bit more about when my brother died in the next, in the next talk. But I want to encourage us to say yes to each other. Like when somebody offers something to you, like I, I found myself even just recently, a friend wanted to, um, to bring dinner, and I thought, oh, like I have stuff that, at home that I can just pull together here. And she was like, no, like just let me, let me do this. And I was like, I need to say yes, because it's not just about me, right? There's something that God is doing by allowing her the joy of doing that and how he is imaged in that very moment. God also uses others in their weakness um, to point to him. Um, that people will not be enough for us, um, even when it's, an, a, maybe we would say it's negative or it feels bad. Um, we trust more in him and know more of him in the midst of that brokenness. And do we sometimes expect ourselves or others not to be human or not to be impacted by the fall, not to be weak? This humbles us and reminds us of our dependence on the Lord. And our weakness and our failure and sinning against each other, even if we're wronged or we experience injustice, this side of heaven, people can't or possibly won't fully know us. It's just impossible. They're not God. And yet it may be God's kindness um, that those people are not enough because we will be redirected towards the one who is. And you may... um, Augustine says, you may, um, saying this of, of the Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And yet we have opportunity to be little rest stops for each other along this journey, this side of heaven. And again, we remember in Revelation, we are his, he is ours, and God himself will be with us. I love um, the Heidelberg Catechism 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly 
willing and ready from now on to live for him. It, it seems counterintuitive, but our neediness is a way that images him with each other and with the Lord. And we belong to God, and so we belong to one another as his people. We are hopeful that we ourselves can grow as we are needy for his love, grace, and mercy in Jesus. And as we are needy, living in honest relationship with each other, we and others will grow up into his people in one body where he dwells. And so I know more of what we talked about was more kind of in a building the case for we are needy. And I just in little ways touched on what does it mean to be needy, asking for prayer, confessing with each other, acknowledging where we're at. But I would encourage you to really think through what does this actually look like for me and what is one way that I can, that I can do that this week. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Um, you are not surprised by our humanity. You embrace us where we are. You are a friend of sinners. You are all about our saving and keeping and loving. And one way that you do that is to allow us to be honest with each other and to be laid bare before one another because you cover us. Would you grow us here and as as a body um, more into your likeness as we do this, as we take risks and as we trust ultimately in you, letting go of the way that we want to trust in ourselves and at times even trusting in other people. Direct us upward towards you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.